Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au Welcome to Crunching the Numbers. Going inside and breaking down the game and finding out what all the data means. Welcome to another episode of Crunching the Numbers. You are joined by Martin Wallace from the Tennis Venue, myself, and obviously our data expert, Shane Leonage from Data Driven Sports Analytics. Thanks again for joining us, Shane. Hi, everyone. It's uh, been nearly two months now in isolation, so um, hopefully everyone's uh, adjusting well. Thanks again uh, for, for being here. And today's topic is about predictability, and we've spoken about this at length uh, a lot of times. And obviously, during the Australian Open, we spoke about this also with uh, the player we were working with. And um, it's something that we agree to disagree a lot of the time. The uh, the data and the science collide here a little bit. And uh, we want to look at when is the right moment to be predictable and when is the right moment to change it up and obviously the data tells us one thing um but my coaching opinion tells me another and uh we're gonna we're gonna have a little bit of a robust discussion about that um there's no doubt you're gonna give me some numbers that are gonna gonna make me think a little bit more but i'm gonna give you some thoughts that are gonna make your data look like crap so let's uh, let's start with uh what you've got for us in terms of your research around uh you know predictability in the game yeah, yeah I, I love this topic because uh, I think usually Mark and I are pretty aligned on most things, but um, predictability is one where we definitely diverge a bit. Um, so, so as Mark said, let's let's explore that, and um, we might actually be a bit closer than we think if we align our definitions. I think um, so. I want to throw a few metrics your way um, that actually help uh, me um, sort of uh, work out predictability and 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 then I'll give you some tour examples of some um, patterns used by some of the big players um, Great. The aim though the aim I think mark is for us to leave United on this so uh, it'll be it'll, it'll be interesting to see if we actually end up there we'll see, we'll see how we go and we'll see what the listeners actually tell us in their in their feedback we've had some great feedback actually Shane so uh, please keep that coming through uh, through the first serve through the tennis menu and data driven sports analytics please uh, you know, give us your opinions on any topics that you might want us to cover as well, because uh, we, we quite enjoy crunching the numbers uh, weekly. And this is, you know, this is going to be no doubt uh, one of our finest, uh, finest robust discussions. So uh, Shane, give us some of your metrics that uh, you've been working on over the, over the past week. Yeah. So we're all, all familiar with point success and that's, you know, the amount of points played and, uh, and, and winning it. So that's a simple metric, but for me, when you're looking at predictability, you need to look at something called pattern robustness. So I'm not going to go into all the details and the mechanics of the calculation, but it really centers around looking at how much a particular pattern, the success diminishes if you use it multiple times. So I'll use the example of a serve volley. So you might win that point, but if you use that point immediately after, does your opportunity to win the point diminish because you used it recently? The score, the the, the robustness score that the metric comes up with is, is a score out of 10 with a, a score of 10 being a really robust pattern that you can use all day, no problems. A score of zero is uh, a pattern that loses value immediately after it being used once. So uh, I'll use the example, and we gravitate to this one a lot, Nadal's lefty pattern, where he's lefty serve, particularly on the ad side, to a right-hander's backhand. Sets it up with a forehand, goes immediately back to the backhand. Now that has a robust score of 9.2, which really means he can use that um, all day. It's devastating for his opponents. 
Um, and really, with the exception of maybe Djokovic, which we'll touch on a bit later, that strategy works quite well. And I'll contrast this to Roger Federer's Sabre strategy. So the sneak attack by Roger, um, if you're not familiar with it, it's where he moves forward on the return and he ends up in the net really for that plus one return shot. Um, that's got a, he actually has a fair bit of success. He's winning nearly 53% of points on that. But it's actually got a lower robust score of 4.5. So that's something he can't use in close proximity. So I might start with those two, Mark. Any thoughts on, on that? Yeah, I think they're two really good examples to start with. I think the, the Nadal one is, you know, for me, one of the things that stands out because Nadal's execution of his ball is exceptional. You know, the pattern that he plays, forehand lasso finish where it's over the top of his head, allows for a steeper ball path uh, off his racket to allow the ball to jump higher on the, on the backhand side of the opponent. Now, basically, that's that's a pattern of play, or it's it's a shot that is very hard to execute as an opponent back back no matter what. No matter if you know the ball's going there, no matter if uh, you've seen him do it over and over again, even if he tells you the ball's going to go back in that corner, the ability to execute that shot back is really challenging because of the steepness of the of the ball bouncing at the other end. And I feel that he has great success with that because it buys him time to utilize his forehand on the next shot as well. So he's obviously so well drilled in that pattern of play that it's going to be executed really well, no matter if, if somebody knows it's going there. The other thing is, from the serving perspective, it's very hard to do much else with a, a backhand return sliding away from you on that ad side. So the lefty can really get the ball moving, get you out wide, and it's very hard to execute much more than what you're probably doing anyway. When you hit that return though, this is what the, the flip side and the challenging thing is, is that once you've gone out wide to play your backhand return from the Dale serve, the one thing that you want to do is you want to quickly get back and recover and cover the other side of the court because you're out of court. But what Nadal does, is he can mix it up really well and go the other way as well. So you, you don't want to sit in that corner and just wait for him to play that, that ball back into your backhand corner. So you try and recover and then you get caught off guard. So then you, your second shot becomes defensive instead of offensive. So that's the Nadal pattern of play, I think, broken down a little bit from an opponent's perspective. So that's one example. The, the Federer Sabre is the other one that you, you brought up. I believe, and this is just a belief and an opinion. I'm no numbers guru, Shane, but Federer does this for me purely because he tries to put pressure on. Now, he doesn't expect to always win the point, but it's a change up and it, and it puts pressure on. And what I feel he does it for is to see what the opponent will do if he does it later down the track at a big moment in time. So he might do two in the same game, like you're saying, and have a small a percentage of chance of winning that that point. But looking further down the track, he's exposed and seen what the opponent can and can't do off the saber. And he says, okay, well, if at a 30-all point at five all, and if I saber, which side do I saber to? Do I hit it to the forehand side, to the backhand side? Do I go straight up the middle? Do I try and get myself in and cover a certain particular spot? So I think he does it to look further down the track as to what it can and can't do. Yeah. So they're my two little examples and how I may look at it from a coaching perspective. The reality though, Mark, is not, not a a lot of players actually have a pattern or strategy that they've got a really high robust score. It's a bit lower than Nadal's 9.2, for instance. So how do we make sure that we are not giving up our best strategy so the opponent can sit on it, but still being able to use it when we really need it? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. It's something that I try and impart onto players a lot. So what I try and get the players to look at is at a big moment where it's 30 alls, juices, break point down, game point up, 
play the pattern that you most feel comfortable doing. What can you execute nine, nine and a half times out of 10 and you know that your side of the game will not break down? If that's the serve out wide and the forehand back behind them, so be it. If the opponent knows it's going to happen, it's fine. Like Nadal, if you can execute it well enough to put pressure on, then to me, that's a really good strategy because you need to be comfortable enough to make the play at the big moments. On the flip side, I give my players something like if you're two points up in the game, if you're 30 love up, 40, 15 up, 40 love up, for example, you can change that pattern of play to keep them guessing, right? So it gives the player the confidence to say, well, I'm 30 love up. I'm okay sliding the ball wide now instead of going down the tee. Um, so it gives them a little bit of an opportunity where they, they're not worried. If they lose that point, they've still got another point up their sleeve to be ahead. That's the kind of strategy and game planning I look at with a lot of players at the top level and even at the junior level is when you don't feel as confident, play whatever you feel the most comfortable. And then that takes away the stress of, oh, will I make this or won't I make this? Will I make this first serve or am I going to miss this first serve because I'm trying something that I don't normally do at this moment? Um, and that just gives the player comfort uh, of, I know I've executed this many times before and I'll, I will be able to do it at this big moment. So, I mean, I know when we've uh, we've actually gone into to matches and, I, and one of the things that I usually do in my match preview or preparation pack for you and, I, and I'll often go and say, don't be too predictable on this or don't be too predictable on that. And you're like, but that's his strength. That's, you know, that's their strength. I want them to use that. So I suppose that's something we've grappled with. But one thing I think we, we are sort of in agreement with is that in those under pressure moments, we do want to be using that strength more often than not. I think using your strength is a real key component of winning matches, no doubt. So in the big moments, I think it's important, even if it is predictable. The other, the other thing is, obviously, you go in with a game plan of which side of the player you want to try and target the most, You know, whether it's the forehand or the backhand. And that can come into play in the big moments. If you've got a, a player that can execute any serve, which you, hopefully from a coaching perspective you have, I mean, you've been able to produce that and, and create that in your athlete, then it's okay to change your most comfortable pattern if you know that they're comfortable serving to any part of the court or returning to any part of the court so you know there's obviously taking the individual into account which is really important whenever you're game planning so data and the art and science are one thing but it's the players feeling that's the most important part in any kind of decision that you have going forward as to where to play the ball so let's go back to one of those sort of patterns and strategies that um, actually brings a lot of one-off sort of success um, for, for a lot of players and that's the serve volley it's not necessarily a robust strategy for them but how how do you sort of coach your players to, to maybe use the serve volley um, as a surprise tactic? Well, it's a good question because I feel like serve and volley was one of the four game styles that we have grown up with uh, that we think is part of the game. But I feel like serve volley now has become a tactic rather than a game style. So, you know, you use it as the surprise element. You throw it in. And that's the kind of thing that you throw in at 30 love up at 40 love up, at 40, 15 up, as a surprise tactic and element to be able to keep the opponent guessing as to what you're going to do. Now, you don't throw it in once and never do it again. It might be something that you throw in each time that you're, you're a couple of points up to keep that opponent guessing a little bit more. So serve and volley is the, the one thing that we need to understand about serve and volley. It's a tactic that needs to be practiced as well. So it's not like you go into a match, a player is a, a baseliner and you say to them, okay, just every now and again, throw in a, a serve volley. If you haven't practiced it, because you still want them to have success at the, at the game plan. So, you know, I think it's something that is 
a practice skill. It's an art, you know, the ability to serve to the spot as you're moving forward and hit that first volley from on or inside the service line to be able to close the net, to be able to split step, to be able to read the ball coming back. They're all really key elements that need to be taught and not just thrown into a game plan for the sake of throwing it in as a changer. And I think uh, the, the other thing that we, we, we sometimes discuss is when I talk predictability and, and, and sort of mention in a game plan. And, uh, and I think you, 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 do, you do highlight to me that perhaps the player's not thinking about that and it, it's an added stress to them. So I suppose how do you communicate sort of that predictability element to a player? I feel like I don't even use the word predictability. And it's, I know you put it into your reports and I love when you put it in because it gives me an idea of, of what works and what doesn't. But one of the things I, I try not to talk to my players about is the what ifs. I think if we as coaches focus on the what if, then we put a lot of doubt into the mind of the player because that means we're doubting. You know, oh, what if they know you're serving there? Or what if they know you're going to play the ball there? You know, I think that adds a little bit of negativity to the game plan. So I generally try to stay, steer away from the word predictability and focus more on what can we control? You know, we can control where we put the serve. We can control what we're trying to do to the opponent. We can control where we hit our ball, how hard we hit it, you know, how heavy we hit it, how deep we hit it. That's our control. So let's focus on the things in our control control more often than thinking about the what ifs and you know if they read the play if they know i'm serving there so be it you know i think the one thing about predictability that i don't know is in the in your data we're going to agree to disagree once again but you know if i'm serving to the to the ad side how have i served it there if i'm going particularly out wide for example one serve might be a flat serve one serve might be a kick serve one serve might be a slow serve one serve might be a slider that comes back into the backhand as opposed to going away so the predictability might be he knows or my opponent knows I'm going there, but I'm going to change up the way that I do that to make sure that it is unpredictable in the way that I've done it as opposed to where I've gone. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. So I think that's uh, probably what distinguishes good sort of tagging uh, or to, to more comprehensive tagging where you are starting to, to actually look at the different spins. So if it's a kick serve, it's a flat serve, it's a slider, you also factor that into the predictability calculation. So I actually think we do agree a fair bit here um, and I think it, it's centered around that definition again of what's a successful strategy and and for me that successful strategy is one that's winning points but it's one that is winning points consistently no matter when you use it so I think well, when you factor that in we're actually quite similar on 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 our viewpoint on this communication is a big thing and, and Mark touched on like he doesn't even use the word predictability and and that's where that's why he's a coach and I'm not because I think I would confuse them if I went in with oh look it's it's definitely comes in language doesn't it you know I think we the ones that are delivering the messages need to have the right language around how we utilize the stats and the data and a lot of that predictability though Shane and this is one thing that I look at with data um, just to finish this off is I think data tells you the the average whereas you might be play a predictable pattern but win the point on a moment that you need to win the point even though the averages might not tell you that you're going to win the point averages give you a, a, a guessing tool whereas sometimes a player might just be feeling that one moment and go I can hit that serve and I can execute this point right now and and this is where we've got to back the athlete and be individual in our planning and our thoughts and ensure that they're comfortable doing what they're doing and back them 100% if they play that predictable pattern and it doesn't work so be it you know they felt it at that moment I mean, there's nothing a coach can say or do that can change a player's feeling and I always tell my athletes that, 
hey, you feel it, I see it, let's bring it together at the end of the match and decide whether it was the right decision or not. And let's and let's talk about it rather than, hey, you played the wrong pattern. I told you that that was a predictable way that you were playing. They knew you were going to serve out wide. Uh, why did you do it? It happens. And players will make decisions as they make them. And the one thing I don't want to put into my players' mind is fear or doubt. And the one and the one word that creates fear and doubt to me is that predictability um, and the what if. So, you know, I try and steer away from the, the terminology, but I use it in different ways. So um, obviously you give me a lot of that data and I try to use that as much as I possibly can, um, but in the simplest form so that the player can understand it. And that's, uh, and that's where the art and science definitely collide and work really well together and, and amalgamate extremely well. So, and that's where your work comes into my work and vice versa. So it's, um, it's a great topic. It's one of uh, multiple answers could have been said and different opinions will be had on this topic. And if you are listening to this podcast, please make sure you, you, you do send us a message, send us an email or touch base with us on social media, because we love hearing what other people think and, and your opinions and, 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 everybody sees it differently. So again, once again, Shane, you know, your, your research in these topics is exceptional and I do appreciate your time. Uh, obviously, you balance your time really well with Cricket Australia and Data Driven Sports Analytics and obviously with our podcasting and I do appreciate what you, you know, what you do and the time you put in for this sort of stuff. No, thanks again and, uh, and anyone listening, if you, you're interested in this kind of analysis for your athletes, um, come and talk to Data Driven Sports Analytics and subscribe to the tennis menu. We, we do try and put this kind of data-driven content out there as well. Absolutely. And, you know, thank you very much for listening. I know we've had a lot of, a lot of great messages on social media. So thank you so much for your support. We, we continue to hopefully bring you some sanity in these insane times. And, uh, you know, thanks for, for being part of Crunching the Numbers. And hopefully we can continue to provide you with some uh, stimulation and some excitement for tennis and keep tennis at the forefront of your mind. Uh, I've been Mark Sephors from the Tennis Menu, Shane Leonard from Data Driven Sports Analytics. Feel free to click on, have a listen to any more of the, the podcasts that we've done already and um, stay in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. So thanks again for joining us here on Crunching the Numbers. You've been listening to Crunching the Numbers. Make sure you subscribe to receive all the First Serve podcast. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.